Hi, I'm Robin Landy, and I'm the producer of 90,000 Hours. I just wanted to give a quick thank you to those who've been listening to the show so far. Welcome to episode 10. If you'd like to support the show, you can make a one-time or recurring donation by clicking on the link in the episode description. And or you can also just leave a review over at Apple Podcasts, which will really help other listeners find the show. Thanks again for listening and enjoy episode 10. Tampa, Florida. Growing up in Florida is, is pretty cool. It's like growing up in paradise. My my dad is a business owner. He owns a landscaping business. He's done that pretty much my whole life. And my mom is also a business person. Um, she worked for Hilton for 20 something years. I often attribute my, my work ethic to my parents. Um, I think I gained basically my ability to, to meet my goals and work hard to attain them from both my parents. My dad never takes any time off of work, and my mom was always big on education, and I think those two things combined were instrumental in, in who I am now. My mother tells a funny story about when I was a kid, probably like, I don't know, five, six years old, I was in the doctor's office for something, probably a broken ankle or something like that, as I tend to hurt myself. And I I, I stole a whole bunch of like medical supplies because I wanted to be a doctor. So I'd like go around the house putting band-aids on things and like examining dolls, I guess. And uh, so I think my interest in medicine started at a very early age. And then in middle school, we had a talk by like an orthopedic surgeon. I think one of the kids' dads came in and talked to us about his job. And I was like, that's it. I want to be a doctor when I grow up. And I don't think I really turned away from that too many times. Well, a couple times, but um, it was like an overall arch in my life was to be in medicine. About the same time as the talk from the orthopedic surgeon, our school introduced a program that we have in Florida called the Florida Bright Future Scholars Program. You basically start working on it in eighth grade and then all throughout high school, you are trying to get this like full ride to college. So I wanted to go to college, and my parents uh, were not going to be able to pay for that, likely. So I worked my butt off trying to get that scholarship, and I got it. And then I got to college, and I, I don't really, I guess it wasn't the right time for me necessarily. So I was pre-med, math major, just trying to keep everything together, and it just didn't work out for me. So I did not finish, and I lost my scholarship. And I moved to Durham, North Carolina, where I live now and became a body piercer, which was, I guess, some sort of substitute for medicine in my mind, because it still dealt with people and bodies. And so I worked at Dogstar Tattoo Shop for seven years. But during that time, I decided that I wasn't getting any younger, and I needed to get back to my, my goals of, of working in medicine. So I went to the surgical technology program. And then after that, I got a job at Duke in neurosurgery, 
and was a scrub tech there for many, many years. So in 2007, a need was identified in Uganda, and the surgeon who was heading up the mission asked me if I wanted to go be a scrub tech in Uganda, and I immediately said yes. So I went to Uganda four times and worked at uh, Malago Hospital in Kampala, which is the capital, and there were absolutely amazing experiences. I mean, we basically refurbished and furnished several operating rooms at the hospital and the ICUs. We brought over just like shipping containers full of equipment and supplies for them and did, I can't even tell you how many operations we did, but we worked from way before sunup to way after sundown um, in the operating room. And I had some really amazing experiences meeting not only the patients and their families, but what was really cool about it is that we worked alongside the the analogous uh, person for your job would work with you. So I had a nurse that was working with me scrubbing the cases and I was teaching her, you know, how we do it in the United States of America, I guess. And she was a very awesome friend over the years. What I learned is that we don't always do it the right way here in America. We would teach them for a week and then the next, the following year when we would come back, a lot of the things that I sort of said, well, we should do it this way, we should do it this way. They weren't doing it like that, but the, but it worked for them. And, and I, learned, I learned things from them that changed how I did things. That was my big takeaway, that I don't, I don't always think we need to go in and tell people what they need to do in, in their country. We need to sort of work with them to find solutions. I also went to Rwanda on a mission trip to Kigali and that was incredible. Rwanda is probably one of the most beautiful countries I've ever been to. And obviously everybody knows the history there. We went to mass graves um, for the genocide. That was very solemn. It was just an awakening experience. And the interesting thing there is that if you ride around downtown, you'll see these guys in pink jumpsuits cleaning up the street. Kigali is extremely pristine. And those guys are the perpetrators of the genocide. That's their prison job is to clean the city and make it nice looking for the people that live there. One day when I was in Africa on a mission trip, one of my colleagues who was a physician assistant said, you know, you're, you're really not living up to your potential. Not that there's anything wrong with being a scrub tech, but I think you've got more in you. He suggested that I take a look at the physician assistant program. So I gave that some thought. And it turns out you have to have a, a bachelor's to do that. So I then had to go back to school and get my bachelor's and finished up my math degree. And then I went to the Duke PA program, which does not make me a Blue Devil. I'm still a Tar Heel through and through. It's expensive. It's two years. It's, it's a really intense time um, in your life. The first year is all didactic. So classroom, eight to four every day, PowerPoint ad nauseum. And then the second year you go into your clinicals and that's just so much fun. And you get to put all the knowledge that you've been absorbing off those PowerPoint slides into action and start taking care of people and start, start making a difference in people's lives. So I currently work at Duke Hospital in the Spine Center with an amazing neurosurgeon. We worked together in, in Uganda 
one year. Um, and that's where we got to know each other. And then when I graduated PA school, he, he called me up one day and said, Hey, do you want to come work for me? You know, I'm going to be doing spine at Duke. And I jumped at the opportunity and that is where I've worked ever since. So I guess you could say the, the path started when I was five in the pediatrician's office and then landed me here. Um, I work primarily in outpatient clinic treating things, you know, anywhere from back pain to neck pain, sciatica. We treat a lot of scoliosis patients, not just kids with scoliosis, but also adults who have a different kind of scoliosis called degenerative scoliosis. It's a, as I already said, I love my job. Um, it is not without challenge, but day to day making the differences in people's lives that I've been able to make is just, it's just incredible um, that people thank you for saving their, their life, getting their quality of life back, making it so they can walk again. There are not many words that can describe that feeling and that, that appreciation. It's an honor that they allow me to take care of them. They let me into their lives and trust their bodies into our hands. Somebody asked me the other day, he, he wants to be a PA and he said, so, you know, is there any, any job that you'd rather do? And I paused for a second and I thought, well, yeah, I mean, I want to be a rock star, but I don't think that's going to happen at this point. I'm 41 and I have pretty much no skills when it comes to music. So there's nothing else I want to do with my life other than be a PA, to be honest. So typically I have to be at work around 7.30 in the morning. So I wake up around 5.30 to get ready. Usually I'll have about I don't know, 10 to 12 patients on my schedule. It doesn't maybe sound like a lot, but spine patients can be a bit complex. Um, so it takes a bit of time to, to sit down and, and learn all of that with the patient. But yeah, I'll see 10 to 12 patients during clinic. You know, I think it's a typical like doctor type job that you would expect. You know, the nurses are coming to you and asking you questions about maybe somebody called in and has this problem or somebody needs a refill and you just kind of have to weave those other tasks in to the day while you're seeing patients back to back. So I think that that can be a bit of a challenge just because there is a finite a number of minutes in a day. And my day ends around the last patient appointment is at 2.30, but somewhere along the way, you typically pick up a bit of a delay. So I usually get done around four and then you have to write your notes. The dreaded charting, I think, that we all we all hate to do. It has to be done. Yeah, typically, like I would I would say on average, like a fifty hour work week. If I don't have any extra shifts, I think that um, maybe I have a bit of an atypical presentation for a medical provider. I mean, I think there are a lot of providers walking around with tattoos under their clothes that you can't see, but mine don't all fit under my clothes. Um, I have a fair amount of tattoos and my gender presentation is not really gender conforming either. So I have a whole bunch of funny stories of, of patients just flat out being confused. And like, I'll walk into the room and say, hi, my name is whatever. And they look at me like, what in the world? Where do I go with this? Like, is it a sir? Is it a ma'am? I know she said her name was this, but she doesn't look like that. 
So it, it can be challenging, especially in a more, say, aging population where maybe the patients don't have good hearing, maybe they don't have good vision. Um, and I have very short hair and tend to wear button down shirts and khaki pants. And they just, it ends up being a very uh, confusing situation sometimes for just about everybody in the room. We generally work it out. I try to make jokes about things and, oh yeah, yeah, I get that all the time or just kind of laugh it off so the patient doesn't feel uncomfortable because I think the, the vibe in the room, when you when you walk into a patient's room, the vibe has to be good if you're going to get anywhere um, in terms of taking care of that. If you don't have a good rapport or if something's in the way, then it's not going to go well and there's not going to be this open line of communication. So I just sort of dismantle all of the the misunderstandings and try to make the patient feel as comfortable as, as they can. I think one of the biggest challenges in medicine, aside from learning, understanding, and applying medical knowledge in making decisions, is um, human interaction, especially the past year and a half. I think people's tempers have been a little bit um, easier to trigger people are just a little bit more stressed out and maybe disgruntled. So I think one of the hardest things in my job is when, like I was saying about the vibe in the room has to be right. If when that does go sour, when there is an impasse or an issue, the recovery is probably the biggest challenge because my goal is not to, you know, ever upset a patient or make them feel uncomfortable or angry or disappointed dissatisfied. Um, so when there is something in the way, or if you're just not communicating correctly and they get, you know, you get upset or they get upset, it's hard to, it's hard to bring it back to a positive conversation. I think that the people to people interactions are probably the hardest part of the job because you, you have yourself, you've got the patient, you've got the patient's family all in the mix. And sometimes what you say to a patient is not necessarily what they want to hear. Um, so finding the right words and the right way to deliver that bad news or just that thing that they thought it was this and it's actually this is the hardest part for me. When people do come to you for your advice, I mean, that's what they're coming to you for, but they don't necessarily agree with you or want to take your advice, it's hard to get a patient to accept your plan sometimes, even though it's not what they want to do. So I think finding the right way to encourage patients to do the things that you're recommending, rather than just saying, you need to do this, and this is what I say, but to work with them so that they can see it from your perspective. The three things that come to mind that are chal like challenging globally for providers would be one is burnout we work a lot we work long hours we we're public servants and period i mean it, it's just people get burned out just like any other job um, we do too number two would be not feeling like you have enough time to take your vacation time it's hard to go out of town for a long period of time when you're running a practice because the practice does not stop running when you leave town and it is not a vacation if you're on your laptop by the pool. The pressure to be there 
all the time, but the burnout means you need to take a vacation. It's just hard to, to feel like you can actually go away. And the third thing I think that's really challenging is that providers have lives. Things happen. Um, their kids get sick, their parents die, their dogs get sick. Somewhere there has to be a compromise, but we are just as, as human as every, everybody else. And we have things that happen in our lives that are negative that we need to handle and sometimes don't have time necessarily to handle them or feel <laughs> guilt is probably not the right word, but just the pressure of, well, you should be where you're supposed to be at work, not dealing with your sick animal or kid or whatever. I think that when you go into medicine, you know that your life is going to be different than a lot of other professions because you have, you are taking care of people's lives and that doesn't stop at 5 p.m. So I think we sort of go into it knowing that there are going to be demands of us, that that's just the lot you chose. You should not go into medicine if you think that you're going to clock in and clock out. I have worked late. I have called people at 8 p.m. waiting for their results to come back in for a test. And it's just something that you do. You can't really get mad at it because it's not a secret that being a doctor or a PA or a nurse practitioner is hard. I struggled with imposter syndrome a lot early on in my career, which is, I am now in my eighth year. And I still, I still struggle with it sometimes because I, what, I dropped out of college. You know, I was a body piercer. That's weird. That's not, that's not traditional, you know, but um, the thing that I just always had to have to tell myself is that my resume got me this job. My grades in undergrad and experiences and letters of recommendation, all that stuff got me into Duke PA program. So I'm not an imposter because I, I did this. I didn't, there was no nepotism, but it, it creeps in, you know, Oh gosh, how is it that I'm wearing this white coat when I'm covered in all these tattoos and, uh, it took this non-traditional path, but I actually think that the non-traditional path really defines me. I think it's my experiences. It's, it's what makes me who I am and makes me a good provider. And also it comes in handy when you've got like teenagers in your clinic and they're, Oh, whatever, you know, they're acting like teenagers, you know, or maybe they're in their early twenties and they're floundering in life. They don't know what they're doing but I can tell them about my story and encourage them. See, look, it doesn't, you don't have to, you don't have to graduate at 18, go to college, graduate at 22, then come out of med school at 27 or 28. And that's the pre-prescribed path. Like it doesn't have to be like that. You can go back anytime, but yes, some days I go to work and I say, what is anybody going to find out that I'm not who I say I am? You know, early in your life, you're hustling to get the grades, you know, get your transcript in, get your papers written, all this stuff. And then you finally just get there and you're at your goal. 
And I'm um, not trying to say that like, I'm now I'm just going to skate by the rest of my life. Cause obviously I have a job where you have to think and keep learning. But I, <laughs> for some reason I, I really want to go to law school right now. And uh, I have talked to myself out of it every time the, the thought pops in my head, there is no way I could have that level of grit <laughs> to get myself through another graduate program at this age. I don't like to think of it as I lost my ambition. I just, maybe we have a certain amount total in our life and I used a lot of it up at the very beginning to get where I am now. Now I just want to do a good job at my job. Master this instead of um, keep thinking I have to get more letters behind my name. I'm trying to rethink life and not necessarily be defined by work as much as I am defined by all the other things that I do. I'm just applying that ambition to other things that are a little bit less tangible than degrees. This would be nice if instead of like, hey, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm a PA. The answer would be like, hey, what do you do? Oh, well, I hang out with my dog and I make beats on a computer that are not that good. And I take care of my family and my friends. Like, oh, what's your job? Oh, I'm a PA. I want to have a shift and think more about who I am outside of Duke right now than who I am inside. Sometimes I think when you have had the same job now, like the exact same job for eight years. And after eight years, I mean, you're, you're seeing the same things. Not that it's mundane. I mean, being in medicine is always very active and, and exciting, but I may sometimes feel like maybe I should think about a new specialty because I'm not in neutral because I'm, I'm still keeping up with the new things I need to learn for my job, but um, it's not as challenging as it was eight years ago, I'll say that. And I'm not bored, I'm just not necessarily as challenged as I was. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want it to define all of me. Obviously, being a PA is part of my existence, but um, I just want to also be defined by the things that I do outside of work. If I change jobs and decided that I wanted to do a different specialty, well, that would be great and exciting, and I would have to be studying a lot and learning all of these new things. Or during this period of my life, I can keep my job the thing I'm comfortable and knowledgeable about, where it is, and then just change up something after work or on the weekends that I do, try to learn a new thing or go to a new place or whatever. Because if you constantly are looking for challenges only at work, then you're never going to grow in, in your personal life. When I'm having just the worst day, everything is coming at you from all different directions. I honestly, and this is definitely not meant to offend anybody who delivers mail, but I really feel like I just want to put my headphones on and go put mail in mailboxes all day long. Cause look, you get exercise, you get vitamin D, you know, you're out in the sun, you get to meet people or not meet people if you don't want to. It doesn't seem like it requires late night phone calls or after hours work. I know that they do have like high quotas and they have to hustle, but I, but I honestly don't really know what else I would be if I wasn't a provider or a rock star.
I think, I think it just is exactly what I was supposed to do with my life. And that's a really great feeling. To be in medicine, I think, well, you have to be type A. You have to be compassionate, understanding, patient, and you have to be able to listen. You have to be a good listener and you have to be a good detective because they come to you with a set of symptoms. But they don't always know this symptom over here is related to this thing. So they don't bring it up. So you have to ask a lot of questions and like run down all the, the leads, I guess, like they do in Law & Order. I think the most satisfying part of my job is when people get better. There is no greater honor than to take care of humans, I think, and just to have people look you square in the eye with, you know, sometimes with tears in their eyes and thank you for what you've done to help them. I mean, it's, it's something that I really can't describe. I'm tearing up actually talking about it because it's so, it's so powerful. Just the graciousness that people have uh, when you when you step into their life and help them. I am sure I've learned a lot of lessons. Um, I have learned patience it is not one of my strong suits, and um, I meet twelve new people every day, and they come from all walks of life. They're all ages. They have all sorts of different problems. They're unique an individual in every way and I just I I just learned things that I never knew about humans before like all the time my favorite group of people to take care of would be older folks because they have so much experience and and knowledge it's unbelievable they can be so unassuming sometimes you know it's just a, a grandpa and, and he's 90 but if you start talking to him He'll tell you some awesome stories and some life lessons that he has learned um, and can can give you. I think I just learn a lot by meeting all different types of people day in and day out. I don't think that patients ever need to take into consideration my life. They don't need to know if my dog is sick or if my friend died and that that's bothering me. But I think we should all understand this that you don't know what people are going through ever i don't know what patients are going through completely in their like their social factors maybe or their personal lives and it's the same with us and i think when you work as closely with people as we do be that the patient or the other team members you have to you have to remember that you don't necessarily know what happened this morning to that person and just be nice everybody just needs to be nice I'm not trying to say that like as a patient you need to care about me but just be kind and understanding that we're not robots maybe we'll be replaced by them one day but that day has not come <laughs>